The scripture reading comes from Deuteronomy chapters 4 and 5. Please follow along on the screen. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the word of God. Great. So... Today we're starting on a new series, uh, looking at the Ten Commandments. And this time that we are going through is a time where rules really count at the moment. I don't know if you have looked around you, the rules are everywhere. Don't enter any shop without a mask, don't gather more than four people uh, in a place. Our experience of life is totally shaped by rules. And for some of us, that gives us comfort. For some of us, are just feeling very restricted at this time. And it raises a lot of questions about what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to live life well? Well, uh, one Greek philosopher called Epictetus, he said, is freedom anything else other than the right to live as we wish? Nothing else. American philosopher, Pitbull, uh, uh, rapper Pitbull, said, I'm free to do what I want and have a good time. And so both of these people are saying to us, uh, the absence of rules is freedom, that's the good life. But if you've ever been to a nation where the drivers follow that principle of the absence of rules is the way to live, you know that is not the way to freedom, that's the way to chaos. But some people love rules. They love morality. You know, in Hong Kong, um, I think many people around the world think that Christianity is just a set of rules. So I have met many people who have brought their kids, non-Christians, they've brought their kids to church on Sunday. They've dropped them off, and I've heard them say, listen, um, be good, learn how to be good through these people, but don't listen to any of the religious stuff they talk about. And... Because what they think is, get the rules, but don't worry about the God part. But 
I'm not sure whether people who love rules or people who hate rules will have the perception that King David in the Psalms had, of the psalm that uh, Jeremy read to us earlier. Let me just read a little bit of it again to you. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. That's Psalm 19. You see, have you ever read the Ten Commandments and go, that is better than making a billion dollars on the stock market, having a 50% raise in your salary? But that's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, if that is not our heart, God wants to change our heart. And that's what I want us to see and to get this morning. That I want us to come away going, God's commands are good for us. Because you see, freedom and life is not doing what we want to do. It's doing what we ought to do so we become the people we were created to be. Freedom, let me say it again, freedom is not doing what we want to do, but doing what we ought to do so we become the people we were created to be. You know, a goldfish is most free when it's swimming in water. It is not free if it starts trying to hike up the peak. It's going to die because fish were made to swim. Well, we were made to swim in God's will, which means that you and I will learn to live well, even at this time where some of us feel very restricted, if we get the commands of God in Scripture. So we're just going to go on this journey over the next few weeks, looking through the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to just introduce them to you today. And so, um, by way of background, let me just start off by saying There are two versions of the Ten Commandments. One of them comes in Exodus 20, where God had brought the people out of Egypt, and he takes them to the the Mount Sinai, and he gives them the law for the first time. But then the people just keep disobeying and keep disobeying. They wander through the wilderness. Forty years later, most of them have died out, and now they're back on the edge of the land, of the promised land in Moab, and God comes again through Moses to bring them a second time the Ten Commandments. And Moses is like a parent who is about to send their teenage son off to boarding school um, and giving them a pep talk of everything you need to know for how to live well in the new land that I am taking you into. That is what the Ten Commandments are part of. They're part of this talk to the people. And by the way, uh, the Ten Commandments are never called the Ten Commandments in the Bible. They are called, in Hebrew, the Ten Words, which should tell us something. It should tell us that these are not some cold, divine, impersonal government laying down the law to us. These are the words of a personal God speaking to create a people, and these are his constitution that they can be the kind of community that he wants them to be. So what that means is the law... And the commandments are not some legalistic way to try and get into heaven. 
They never were. The Ten Commandments here starts off, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before you have a single rule, God reminds the people, I've saved you, I've redeemed you, I've brought you to myself. God doesn't say, keep these ten rules and then you can be my people. No, he's saying, I've brought you to be my people. I've brought you to be free. I've brought you to know how to live. Now live in the way that I want you to because that is going to be your life. It's grace. It's not legalism. So if you have um, the passage with you, um, I'm going to dive between the two passages in Deuteronomy 4 and 5. And... And really learn what are the ten words all about. And I've got four things that they're about. They're a revelation. They're wisdom. They're a lifestyle. And they're a window. Okay? Revelation, wisdom, lifestyle, and window. So, let's have a look at the first one. They're a revelation of God. What they are doing, they're revealing his authority. So first of all, they reveal his authority. At Mount Sinai, um, uh, in Deuteronomy 5, verse 4, Moses says, The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of fire. You see, at Mount Sinai, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was smoke, there was darkness. This was a multimedia uh, spectacular with surround sound. This wasn't God as kind of a nice grandfather in the sky speaking some words to his children. This was a terrifying thunderstorm and a forest fire combined. And out of that, God speaks. You see, his holy authority is shown. And the people, they can't even touch the mountain or can't come near. And they go, like, how can an awesome God like this speak to us and we can still live? Because, you know, what it's showing is that we often tame God down to kind of our level. But God is not a tame God. The God who made the galaxies, made black holes, made meteorites, is not a God you can just put in a box. You see, when God speaks, he's not making suggestions. He's speaking with authority. You know, I've been in team meetings with an older, really experienced guy there. And for 45 minutes, younger, younger people, we're all kind of talking ignorantly about a whole load of issues, and we're getting nowhere. And then at the end of about 45 minutes, the older guy just says one or two sentences, and suddenly everyone goes, huh, that's it, that settled it. You see, that's what God is doing. We humans are like ignorant people with all of our opinions, but when God speaks, that settles it. His authority is complete. So it reveals his authority, but it also reveals his desire for relationship. I love this. This is, this is, this is great. Verse 2 of chapter 5 says, The Lord, Yahweh, made a covenant with us in Horeb at Mount Sinai. You see, these ten words are God's covenant. Now, we don't really talk about the word covenant a lot these days, but in ancient times, 
um, a great and powerful king would make a covenant with a smaller king. And basically what would happen, it was a relational agreement where uh, the great king would call for the other person to give loyalty and taxation to him. And in return, what he would do, he'd give protection and maybe some provision. You see, it was a win-win kind of situation. But And so the Deuteronomy is actually written it very much like the style of an ancient treaty. You know, there's God, the great and powerful king, Israel, the smaller, uh, the smaller power, and there's, except for there's just one thing that's different. God doesn't get any mutual benefit out of this. He wasn't looking for some extra benefits just to increase his power, his wealth. God was already the uh, powerful ruler of the world, and Israel had already proved itself to be completely unfaithful in every way, and yet God still comes and makes a covenant with them. Why? Deuteronomy 7 says this, um, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. The Ten Commandments are pure grace from an authoritative but loving God. This is less like a treaty and more like a ridiculous marriage ceremony with God as the king who needs nothing chasing after a a wretch. It's like Prince Harry chasing after a disfigured, battered, obnoxious, uh, slum-dwelling old beggar and pursuing her in marriage and then bringing her to Buckingham Palace to show everyone. And he's proud of her. And everyone goes, what? You're with her? Totally out of your league. And yet God, through the exodus, is showing again and again and again his love. And the ten words are Israel's marriage vows to be exclusively Yahweh's and to love him in this relationship. It's all grace. It's all grace. You know, in marriage, the worst thing as a guy is when your wife assumes you know exactly how to love her best without ever communicating what she really wants. And so, you know, as guys, we're pretty dumb, and um, we really don't know. You need to spell it out to us. You know, it's like, okay, don't buy me a car magazine subscription for my birthday. Buy me a spa treatment or something. You go, oh, right, okay. That's what we need. But pagan religions always left you guessing what their gods liked, and then they punish you for getting it wrong. But God in his grace tells us exactly how to do a relationship with him and how it can flourish. He doesn't leave you wondering. That's grace. That's the ten words. So he shows us his authority. He shows us his desire for relationship. And he also reveals his character. You know, in Deuteronomy, God keeps telling the people, walk in my ways, which means image me, do what I do. You know, every commandment which is here reveals something of God's character to us. You know, when Jesus, he summarized the commandments, he said, you can summarize them in two ways. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What he was saying is the commandments are all about love. Why? Because God is love. 
You see, if you want to know what love is, look at the commands. The first four are all about how to love God upwards in that direction. The next six show us what love for our neighbors look like in very practical terms. They reveal the heart of God. Ray Ortland, a pastor, says this, What kind of amazing person would say to us, You shall not steal. Only a just and generous person who can be fully trusted, who would never rob us or defraud us, who would never lie or cheat, who would never hold out on us wrongly, who is not out for himself, who feels no need and no appetite, but only overflowing kindness and abundance. You see, in each command, you will see revealed a passionate, devoted, faithful, loving, just, contented God who wants us as his people to be the same. It reveals God, these commandments, his authority, his desire for relationship, and his character. But that's not all they do. Don't just reveal God. They also are wisdom for abundant living. Okay, this is why we've actually called these series 10 Words for Abundant Life. Have a look at what it says in chapter 4, verse 6. It says this, Keep these laws and do them, for that will be your wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is the ability to make good decisions which lead to flourishing and the good life. That is what wisdom is. And so um, in, in, throughout Deuteronomy, God keeps saying, keep these commands so that it's going to go well with you, so that you might live well. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.24 says this, The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, listen, here it is, for our good always. Not just sometimes, for our good always. That's what the command is. Commands are all about. You know, every one of us wants to live the good life, don't we? That's why we uh, watch all those TED Talks and buy so many self-help books. We want wisdom because we want a flourishing life. You know, in Genesis 2 and 3, God gives us this abundant garden with like a gazillion trees in it, which are amazing. And he, tells them, he gives them one command. Don't eat from that one tree. Eat, you can eat from anything else. That one tree will bring you death. But just trust me with that one. Everything else you can have life. But then the serpent comes along in Genesis 3, and he says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? No, he didn't. He just said one tree. He didn't say any tree. But you see, that is always the lie behind every single sin that you will ever commit. It's the lie that says God is trying to restrict you. God is trying to make your life miserable. God is trying to take joy from you. It's not really for your good. That's why Satan always wants you to focus on the one thing you don't have and to miss all the things that God wants to give you and has given you already. He wants to focus you on what you're going to miss out on rather than what you're going to gain by trusting God and his word and obeying him. But just imagine the kind of community that if they follow the ten words, what it would be like. You know, you would never have to lock your door because there would be no theft. You would never have to fear going out at night because there's no murder. 
families would be in harmony because people are honoring father and mother. It would be a society of justice and integrity where you can trust whatever anyone says. And also, there'll be no workaholic bosses driving you into the ground. This is a place of freedom. There'll be no lawyers, actually, and no police, probably. Um, some of us may think that's a good thing. Some of us may not. But, but it's a place of freedom and life. Any command in Scripture, forgive those who've hurt you. Don't watch porn. Don't sleep with your girlfriend. Pray. Share the gospel. Every command is for your good always. Do we believe that? Because God wants to change our hearts so that it goes from here to here and changes us. So what I want us to do now is I actually want us to stop for a minute. And I want you to take a minute to reflect Uh, If you're with someone, you can just uh, discuss with the person next to you. But I've got a couple of questions that we're going to show on the slide that I want you to look at. How is God calling you to obey him right at this time? And how do you view his commands? Do you view what he's calling you as something that's to give you life or restrictive? Why do you see that? Why don't you? And if you're not a Christian... Whose words do you rely on to help you live well? And then how is that working for you? So if you're by yourself, I encourage you to take a pen, write write down your answers. If you're with someone, take the time to just reflect and then discuss. And we'll come back in a couple of minutes.
So we've seen how the ten words are a revelation of who God is, how they are wisdom for abundant living, and thirdly, I want to show that they are the lifestyle of a missional people. You know, God, when he saves people, he never just saves you from something. He never just saves you from sin. He saves you for something, for his mission. So if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 4, what he says is this. These laws, keep them, do them, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples, the nations around, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this is a great nation. This is a, a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? You know, what he's saying is, I have a non-Christian friend who's been to Watermark in the past, and after coming a few times, his comment to me was, all of you guys are so wise. And I was like, oh, that's not a word I normally think of. He says, yeah, when I talk to my other uh, non-Christian friends, they, their advice is always just like, live for yourself and just have fun for yourself. But, but you guys, as I've hung around you, I begin to change. Like the way I treat my family and the way I'm treating my kids is, is different now. Like, tell me something about your God. That is what Moses is saying the very purpose of the commandments is. He's saying obedience to our commandments is not just about your own personal happiness and joy for you, it's missional. Every Christian, our lives, we were saved to be part of a people which are a window, a window, a display window for the glory of God, for people to see what God is like. You see, that's why God chose the people out of Israel and uh, out of Egypt and brought them uh, to this place. In a dark and broken world, God wants a people whose community life is a beacon of light, which draws and attracts like a moth to a light, people out of darkness to worship the God of Israel. And obedience to God's commands is how we shine. You see, a member of our community group uh, just last week was sharing her testimony. She said when she was an atheist... Uh, she had a friend who went to church and was very involved in church, was serving, leading in community groups, all kind of things. But her priorities in life were no different from hers. Same views on relationships, same choices in relationships, money, all those other things. And she thought, well, if that's what it looks like to have a religion, why do I need one? It's not going to make any difference. But what Hong Kong needs at this time, as much as any time, is a people a church who are not just living the way that everybody else lives, have the same priorities and self-focus, but who live for God and obey his commands. So your obedience now to whatever God is speaking to you is not just for you. It's for your family. It's for your friends. It's for your colleagues. It's for those people around you, people you don't even know are watching you. It's people who need to hear us share the good news and they also need to see it in our lives, in our community life. That's why the commands are there. They're the lifestyle of a missional people. But fourthly, they're not just a revelation of God. They're not just a, a wisdom for abundant living. They're not just the lifestyle of a missional people. Fourthly, they're also a window on the heart. If I tell you right now, just don't look at your toes. Whatever you do, don't look at your toes. Inside of us, something goes 
the moment a command is said, our hearts want to break it. Or we want to go like, sorry, we go like, don't do something. Immediately we go, well, why shouldn't I? Right? And here, the Apostle Paul was reading the Ten Commandments in Romans. And he says this, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing every opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. The very command that promised life proved to be death to me. What he's saying is, he's not saying the law's bad. He's saying the law is good. God's call to love him completely is good. But he was thinking, hey, I'm not doing too badly with this. And he goes through the law and he goes, no other gods, fine, I'm doing well with that. Not worshipping anyone else, no murder, eh, fine with that, Christians don't really count. No theft, no adultery, man, I'm good. And then he gets down to coveting and he goes, flip. You tell me, don't be jealous of my colleague's pay rise. And what happens? My heart starts going, what pay rise? That's not fair. And suddenly you see that the heart that you thought you could obey God, you cannot. I cannot flourish as God designed me to be. We cannot be the people God wants us to be. Sin is not just breaking a rule. It's personal. It's breaking a relationship with God, grieving him. And that's way worse than some divine command from just a government official. And what happens is Jesus comes along, and he doesn't lower the bar. He raises it. He goes, don't just go like, don't commit adultery, and you go, check, I'm okay. He goes, lust in your heart, adulterer, anger, murderer, and suddenly none of us can escape. All of us are now guilty before him. We've got nowhere to run. Paul knew this. But Paul, who found and experienced that sense of conviction and condemnation over him, condemned as a sinner, he would then later write this in 1 Timothy 1. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Do you want to see what love is? Do you want to see what freedom and life is? Do you want to see someone who totally kept the law and God's marriage covenant? Someone who fulfills everything the law was about? You look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, who went to the ultimate death on a cross to bring back an unfaithful people like Israel, like you and me, who do not live according to the calling we have on our lives, who even after we know we've been saved, like even just this last week, we still end up spitting back in his face the love that he's shown to us in our lives. And yet he doesn't go, oh, just forget about you. He comes again and again. And like he shows us, like he does with Paul, the reality of our murderous, angry hearts, envious hearts, show us 
and should show us. I'm the worst guy here. That's what Paul is saying. I'm that slum-dwelling beggar that everyone else would go, you're with him? You mean you and God? How can that happen? And we go, yeah, it's totally insane that I, even though my heart is like this, get to be with the God of the galaxies. The awesome God of the universe. Have you ever realized it is utterly insane that you are a Christian? I wonder if we wonder at that. It's nothing to do with me. It's all because of him. Don't lose sight of that. Because if you get the love that in spite of who you are, yet he keeps chasing after you, even today, then what you'll see is when you hear God's commands come to you, Knowing that love, you're never going to see them as just the commands which are mean, restrictive, trying to kill your life. But it's the commands of someone who loves you more than you've ever loved yourself. More precious than getting a billion dollars on the stock market. This is the key to a life of no regrets from a merciful God. We don't obey him to make him love us anymore. He's already loved us to the skies. We obey him to enjoy him, to love him, to be the people he's created us to be, to be on his mission, and to live the good life that he has for us with no regrets. Let me pray for us. Some of us know that as we look back over the last week, Our hearts condemn us. When we read a command from Scripture, we kind of want to hide it. We want to minimize it because actually it reveals the depth of our hearts, the true state of our hearts. But the glory of the gospel wants to come to us and to show us Jesus died for you, knowing all that he has done. And he didn't just die for you. He actually wants to live for you, that you would come to live for him in your life. And so, Father, I just pray for those of us who wrestle with condemnation, feeling like we can never be all you called us to be. I pray that you'd help us to see that is absolutely true if it was not for you. Lord, I pray that you would come to those of us who treat your commands lightly. We don't see them as good. We see them as just restricting our our joy. I pray that you'd show us how good they are. I pray that you'd help us to see the love that you have for us. That every word that you're calling us to obey right now is not a word causing us death. It's a word calling us to life. Forgive us where we have treated your commands as if they were just impersonal rules rather than the words from our husband, from our lover, from the one who is the great king of the universe. Please change us, Lord, to be a people who are the people you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray for those who are maybe not Christians listening to this. Lord, I pray for them that they would see 
that you are calling them no matter how bad they think they may be or matter how good they may think they be that none of that matters anything in your eyes because they can never be good enough for you but you have done everything for them and I pray Lord that they would turn they would turn and say sorry for the way that they have turned against you but they would say thank you for the way the cross has 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 brought new life and the offer of forgiveness to them and they would say please would you come into my life would you change me would you be my God in my life I pray that for people today I pray that for every one of us let us see how good you are thank you for your word thank you for your law in Jesus name